Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. I found that the uh, news break was rather educational, didn't you, Sean? Great six minute break. Incredible. Did, did we, you and I get a word in edgewise? Here and there. Not much. I mean, some guy came in bragging about digital media sales and added a bunch of zeros. <laughs> I mean, I, we could all do that. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean how, how, close, how, how accurate do you think those numbers were? Seemed a little far-fetched to me. All I know is that at the end of it, you offered him an opportunity to meet Sir Brad. (laughs) 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 All right. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. The Dolphins beat the Patriots. Fire. Got it. Touchdown! What a catch by Jakeem Grant! Wow! He just oh. flew by him. Wow, what a catch. What an adjustment. Jay Cutler gives him a chance where he can catch it. What a play. Jimmy Cephalo, the former Nittany Lion, who's been a guest on our show a couple of times with the play-by-play call on the Dolphins radio network last night as Miami beat New England 27-20. Patriots and Steelers Sunday at 425 at Hines. For those who don't know what we're referring to when, it, when we talk about Sir Brad, here's an opportunity, Sean, to let everyone know when we mention Sir Brad, this is what we mean. Please follow Sir Brad. He's going to give you a private tour of the pit of misery. Pit of misery. Dilly, dilly. Dilly, dilly. Dilly, dilly. All right. Okay, let's bring in Neil Kulong now from USA Today. Neil, first of all, uh, from all of us. Uh, to you, uh, nothing but our deepest, deepest condolences over the loss of your father. Uh, we appreciate the time you're giving us today, but just to let you know, all of us have been thinking about you and uh, the obviously the pain that all of you have been going through. It was, and thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'll uh, I'll extend that to my family as well. It's kind of a kind of a sudden thing, but um, one one probably the biggest takeaway that I have is really that uh, you know our family was kind of crafted in to Steelers football you know that that was kind of the the universal link that we always had and he was a he was a huge fan and he taught me about the history of the team and everything so uh it's kind of like that in, in in a way he's still with me because of that did the uh, two of you go to games together or was it always watching on television how did that come about um you know we never went to a, a Steelers game together we went to a bunch of Pirates games okay um just one reason or another we never went to um it, it, either Three Rivers or Hines. We went to uh, Dick LeBeau's Hall of Fame induction back in 2010. <laughs> That's cool. Um, that was really interesting. <laughs> he, 
he's a you know, he was he was a, a, a student of everything. He knew everything there was to know about the history of football, and going through all of that um, with him was was really a unique experience for me. And I'm really glad that I did it. Yeah, absolutely. It's again our deepest condolences, and there will be memories that you'll treasure forever. The Steelers uh, have ha- found a habit of looking at Chris Boswell at the end of a game and saying, "Go ahead, kick it. We'll leave." Uh, what what have you thought about their level of play the last three weeks, which has been a winning level, but has it been a great level? You know, it, it's to the point now where it, it I almost feel like all the gnashing of teeth and hand wringing and anxiety that's going through Steeler Nation. I, what what people seem to be forgetting is it doesn't seem that this team is able to lose. I mean, how how in the world did you come back from nine points down with six minutes left to go in the game against the the best defense in the NFL? Yes, I, I saw the Ravens score a bunch of points. I'm, I'm aware of, of the state of the, of the Steelers' defense right now, but it, it's just like they can't find a way to lose. They don't know how to lose, you know, it would, whether they didn't pick up that lesson earlier in the year or what, but it, they're finding different ways to make it interesting, that's for sure. But the bottom line is somebody is stepping up every single game. Somebody is having a, a, a huge impact that you might not have necessarily thought uh, would have that big of an impact right away. And now, you know, the, the chips are down. The, the season's on. I mean, really, the, the, in my opinion, the last five games of the season really is when the regular season starts if you're a contender. And the way the Steelers are right now, they're winning games and they're not, they're not playing terrible football. You, you can still see that they have room to improve, and they will. And that's such a great thing for them to be 11-2 and two, heading into probably the biggest game on their schedule um, with, you know, really a no bluetooth. They know how to win football games. They, they know how to, you know, not tackle, but they know how to win football games. It's been just a crazy season to this point. They had to make, obviously, the major adjustment to not having Ryan Shade there, nor will they have him, and we'll find out if they ever have him again. But they know they don't have him the rest of this season. So in the initial look, Neil, of watching the Steelers play defensively, especially with their inside linebackers, what was okay and passable and what wasn't? Uh, they, they, it really seemed in, you, you have to tip your cap to Arthur Motes. I mean, it, it's a position that he hasn't played, That's right. um, in, in quite a while and he hasn't played it in Pittsburgh either. Um, to, to, to prepare him to start, um, against a, a team that can run the ball as well as the Ravens, the way that they run the ball, um, they, they really just went in zone the whole time and that requires a lot out of an inside linebacker. There's a lot of different things that he has to read, a lot of different things he has to see. Uh, that said, he didn't play well. Um, they, I, I don't know if they really have a decent option. And I would even go as far as to say as this. If, if you look up and down the Steelers' defensive roster, the, probably the best all-around player is Cam Hayward. Outside no, no of that, the two, the, the two most valuable players that they have simply because of the lack of depth at, at the position that they play is Joe Hayden and Ryan Shazier. And to have both of them out now, um, I you know I don't think they ever found an answer for for Hayden's absence. Um, Coach Tomlin said today that, that uh, Hayden's going to get back on the field, see where he might be. He might be available for uh, for Sunday against the Patriots, but I don't think they have an answer for the lack of Shazier right now, and it, it's going to be a problem. You're going to see the the Patriots probably are going to run much of, of what we just saw Baltimore do, a lot of outside zone. Uh, really force whichever inside linebacker that is to to, to move. And I, I don't think they did very well in that regard. That's going to be the biggest challenge for them going forward. Uh, what about the possibility of, of playing five DBs in a game like this and and then moving on? I mean, playing five DBs but using one like a Mike Mitchell near near the line. 
Yeah, you know, the, the Patriots are going to have a lot of fun this week figuring out the multitude of ways I think they can get yards against this defense. Uh, typically, they love to spread teams out, especially the Steelers, force those outside linebackers into coverage. Now it's almost like you even want to do that. You, why, don't, why don't you just pick on the inside linebacker that they have coming out there? They can do either, and they probably will do both. Um, it, overall, you're probably going to see them really try to attack the edges, um, get Deion Lewis outside, get him to the sideline, and get him fast. I, I think that's going to be – a, a key element um, to them, and if, if there are passing situations and they feel confident enough that they can, you know, dip deep into the Steelers' secondary uh, to, to force them on the field, I, I think they can have some success with that as well. So it's a it, it, it's, it, it's a daunting task for the Steelers' defense this week, and I, I really don't expect to see a you know a, a repeat of what we saw last night with the Patriots' offense. Well, let's go offensively now. Uh, ben be, throws for over 500 in the game. It was interesting because Bell has done so well running the ball, but it looked like when they finally got to the point we need to throw it, they just threw the ball. They rarely ran it. Uh, I want to ask you about Bell. One of the interesting parts about Bell is he only averages 3.9 yards a carry. Now, I realize in the running joke around here is always, well, that's Jerome Bettis' average, so in the Steeler vernacular, that's a Hall of Famer. Uh, so... Uh, but you know, what are you seeing with their running attack, and do they throw the ball enough? I think it, one thing Todd Haley really likes to do is come up with vastly different game plans uh, from one week to the next. Part of that is really he's trying to cover his tracks. He doesn't want to put too much stuff um, on film for any team to, to get a sense of what they're going to come at him with. And I think that was the game plan against Baltimore. That's why they threw 66 times, because they ran the ball all over him the first time they played. Um, you're riding the hot hand with Roethlisberger. He's playing really well right now. He always plays well in, on, in primetime games at home as well. I think with that, they, they felt they had more of an advantage, especially with Jimmy Smith out um, against a, a very good Ravens defense. They're probably going to have more success trying to get the ball down the field. Any, any instance, I think we saw Antonio Brown in single coverage, they went to him, and he made a couple huge plays in that game, um, padding to his what what seems to be now kind of an MVP level season. Um, it, it's, it's something that I think the running game stalled early this season. It, it didn't do particularly well right away. Bell didn't look comfortable. The offensive line didn't seem to be as as fluid as it normally is, and it's come on throughout the year. But I, I think what we're seeing now, their, their stats are just going to be kind of a hodgepodge of a bunch of stuff because. They've gone so heavy one way or another in so many games this season. And a lot of it really kind of it makes it tough to predict exactly what they're going to do. I, I think that's sort of what Haley wanted toward the end of the year. The, the Patriots over the years, and I know, look, they have a great record. They've only lost three times. But the three games they lost, they didn't play well defensively. The first, you know, the first couple games of the season and the one that we watched last night, they didn't play well defensively. Normally, Bill Belichick has had the ability to take your best player and eliminate him so that you have to go to the other options. You would think Brown would be that guy. Do you think the Patriots are still capable of taking away a team's best option? I think we're going to find out. I think that's really what this game is going to show going into the playoffs, is how, you know, how far can the Patriots' defense bend. Um, we have seen a couple times this year that they haven't played very well. And last night, obviously, was an example of that. But more than anything, they, they lost the key down. That, that's something the Patriots never do. I mean, both sides of the ball on third down, they were terrible. Uh, you, you didn't expect that at all. And a lot of it was Miami had a very good game plan, and they have the kind of personnel, um, especially with Gronkowski out, that, that allows them um, to, to attack defensively the way that they did. They were playing basically straight man on the outside, and they, they just rushed up front. And that, that's 
in today's game, especially with a you know the, the spread concepts that when you are able to play man that aggressively and that much and still get pressure up front, just coming straight at him, straight through the a gap, none of the off the edge stuff anymore for for you know whatever team is going against them. When a team is able to do that against New England or probably really anybody, your quarterback is not going to have as effective a day um, as they normally would. So the way that I see it, I, I'm not sure Pittsburgh has. Uh, the, the personnel to do what Miami did, and I don't think their mindset is going to be the same as Miami, which is really more like, you know, screw it all. I'm, I'm just going to do this all game. If you can beat me, beat me. Um, the, the way Pittsburgh is going to have to go about it is they're, they're going to have to win up front in the A-gap. They're going to have to control the line of scrimmage and really try to force the Patriots in, in the line more, not let them spread out as much as they usually do and not run down the seam the way that they usually do against Pittsburgh. They're going to have to win that game up front. They're going to have to get a hand in Brady's face. and That's, that's much easier said than done. But if, if you want to stand toe-to-toe with that team, that's what you need to do. Gronkowski comes back. What kind of matchup nightmare is he for the Steelers? Uh, with Shazier out, it's even worse. I mean, exactly. Shazier, you, you could see... To some degree, he'd be able to keep up with Gronk. Um, he's given up 50 pounds, but that, that's going to be the case of anybody you put on him. Um, you like to think if they are going to employ more of a man coverage scheme, which I think they will, um, Sean Davis is is certainly an athletic option. Um, like anybody, he's going to be smaller than, than Gronkowski. They're going to have to put a safety on top of him as well if they're going to use somebody like Davis in that role. And that, that gets back to what we were saying before, just about the, the amount of nickel that the Steelers are going to have to play. I don't think that's going to be to their strength. But without Shazier, I mean, you're, you're not going to put Tyler Medikavich on him. I know that. So <laughs> they're, they're almost going to have to use, you know, something of a, a third safety if they even have that option. If it's, you know, Robert Golden, um, it, it, it's, it's tough. It's going to be tough. And this is a big part of the reason why Gronkowski goes off for like 400 yards every time he plays Pittsburgh. Always a pleasure, Neil. Appreciate it very much. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Neil Kulong, USA Today. And again, our deepest condolences to Neil and his family on the unexpected passing of his father. That's why Neil was not with us last week. And uh, we just want to pass along our best to him. Did you find it gauche at all? And gauche is a strong word, I think, Sean. That during the news break, we had to hear exactly how much money was allegedly made this month. By allegedly. A certain individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you run around the station telling everybody what you make in a month? No. You know, I've always had a saying, Sean. I... Conduct unbecoming of an individual of this corporation. Well, I always have had a saying, though. Class shows. All right, we'll come back <laughs> with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Penn's Tavern is where you want to celebrate this holiday season. Whatever feel you're looking for, Penn's Tavern along the Susquehanna River can accommodate your needs. Mountain stone walls and wood floors can be found in the original dining area, giving you that old world charm. Continue back to the newly renovated River Room with 12 PA microbrews on tap. Grab a burger and sit back and relax in this cozy pub area. Penn's Tavern has the best gift certificate offer for the holidays. Buy five gift certificates of the same denomination and receive a sixth one free. Penn's Tavern, a piece of heaven. On Route 147, five miles south of Sunbury. So, if you're wondering what started this uh, little problem that we have here, is that, as you know, I'm going to the Fiesta Bowl. Now, I can never just go to a bowl game. 
as you know, Sean, I just can't go without, obviously, the usual requests. Last year, I had to bring back... What did I bring back from? I brought back a program for the suit. The Rose Bowl program, yes, and you fulfilled that request diligently. Mm -hmm. And I also gave him a flip card. Okay. So now I'm going to the Fiesta Bowl. Who's sponsoring the Fiesta Bowl? PlayStation. And what did the suit ask me to get him? Program? No. No. Mm -mm. Flip card? No. Blade of Grass? So what did he ask for? The complete unmitigated goal to ask you to bring him the PlayStation. He thought you were going to get a swag bag. Okay, I don't get what the players get. The coaches don't get what the players get. They're getting a PlayStation 4. Now, when I pointed that out, what does Captain Bitter then do? (laughs) I think he knew that. He just wanted to ask you anyway, just for fun. His quote was, I'm an Xbox guy anyway. (laughs) Then why did you ask? (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Oh. So, yeah, I think they get that in a watch. I think there's one other thing they get. As no matter what, it can't total more than five hundred fifty dollars. So it you know, so that's the key. Can't be over five fifty. So it's five fifty one. You're in violation. If it's five forty nine, you're in good shape. But that's the limit. And every player in every bowl gets five hundred fifty dollars worth of swag. Some do it in gift suites as to how they choose it. Others in gift cards. Whatever. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what they get. (laughs) And that is the... Now, by the way, the NFL Network... Uh, has suspended uh, Marshall Fall, Keith Evans, and Ike Taylor, and President and President Eric Weinberger has been placed on leave over uh, sexual harassment allegations. ESPN has also reportedly suspended Donovan McNabb and Eric Davis. For the same reasons. So that is the uh, that's the story there. Now, what do the suspensions mean? Are they suspended with pay? Uh, are they suspended with? Uh, Without pay, or the, you know, I don't know what it means. Are they suspended uh, awaiting an investigation? Let's we'll see. Now, I think Davis and McNabb were both suspended 
based on allegations on not when they were at ESPN, but when they were at NFL Network. I think that you know, even though ESPN suspended them, I'm from what I'm reading, it sounds like the suspensions, Sean, were based on their time at NFL Network and not at ESPN, but ESPN still suspended them. Yeah, Edie was on a bunch of different NFL Network shows. I think lately he stayed out in California, was doing some ESPN radio, maybe in L.A., something like yeah. that. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's been working for ESPN, but again, I I think the suspensions deal with... Well, if it deals in regarding the same person from NFL Network, yeah, she was there 10 years and hasn't been working there for about a year or two. Right. So timeline fits. Right. Final half hour here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is The Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. All right. Uh, college football ratings for the season are out. And across the board, you're seeing ratings go down. There were two networks that did not see ratings go down. Fox and Fox Sports 1. Now, that is attributed to the first year of the Big Ten deal which obviously brought new viewers. The number one network for college football this year was CBS, which its package for the SEC had an average of 4.95 million viewers, so nearly 5 million viewers. Actually down 10%, though, from last year. Number two on the list ABC, 4.2 million viewers, but down 18% from last year. Number three is Fox. Fox actually went up 23% to 3.625 million viewers, up 23% from last year. Notre Dame football bounced back this year, but the ratings did not. On NBC, Notre Dame football ratings were down 3% from last year. And Fox Sports 1 saw an increase in 4%. So ABC was down 18%, CBS down 10%, ESPN down 6%, NBC down 3%, Fox up 23%, and Fox Sports 1 up 4%. Austin Karp from Sports Business Daily is the one that put those numbers together. CBS 5.9 overnight rating for Army-Navy, up 5% from last year. Most watched window for ESPN was ABC Sunday Night Football. Now, the next part will be Fox and Disney. They may be announcing by Thursday they're merging. Wow. Now let's get to the bowl story. This was put out by USA Today. 
ESPN has been, as I have talked about this on the show. You know I've talked about this several times. I always talk about it this time of the year anyway. ESPN is buying bowls. I believe now they own 13 bowls. And these bowl games used to be non-profit and tourist destination places. But you're seeing over time, attendance has been going down. Well, now, things have changed. And ESPN's been a big reason why. Look, if I'm ESPN, buying a bowl game is great for me. I think what ESPN is doing, and you know, I can be critical of what ESPN says or does, but I also can praise when they do something right as well. It's called balance. And I think for ESPN, buying bowl games is brilliant. It's brilliant. You're buying programming. Now, one bowl got knocked out. That's the Poinsettia Bowl in San Diego. So they're out after 12 years. Uh, The Foster Farms Bowl transferred ownership of its game to the San Francisco 49ers. They went from losing money in 13 and 14 to now making money. And, of course, the college football playoff makes a ton of money. There are 40 major college football postseason games starting Saturday. A record 17 of them are owned by larger for-profit businesses. Three pro sports teams own the games. The 49ers own the Foster Farms Bowl. The Detroit Lions own the Quick Lane Bowl. And, obviously, the New York Yankees, the Pinstripe Bowl. The national championship is owned by the College Football Playoff Administration, LLC. The other 13 for-profit games are owned by ESPN Events, which is a division of the Cable Sports Network. ESPN Events owned three of the 28 bowl games in 2005, and I owned 13 of them. And they have the the ability to do what they want with them. The Miami Beach Bowl drew only 15,000 fans to last year's game at Marlins Park. They've always struggled to draw there. So ESPN Events took it to the 20,000-seat soccer stadium in Frisco, Texas. And SMU will face Louisiana Tech on the 26th. And that's what they do. They try to find the right market for these games and then matchups. Average bowl attendance has declined for nine straight years. Last year, the average was 41,718. That's the lowest mark since the 1940s. But it does well in the ratings. The business model has only shifted. That's what the USA Today uh, story points out, and USA Today is exactly right. The system is about supply and demand, they write. And in the end, they're going to make a profit of $517 million. Bowl games collectively paid out $622 million to the conferences and schools last season, including $441 million from the playoff alone. After $105 million in expenses, the conferences and schools 
took home $517 million in profit. Clint Overly, vice president of ESPN Events, said, quote, the bowl system is really healthy, and it is. Last year, the All-America Conference had seven teams in the bowl games, including Tulsa and the Miami Beach Bowl. They ended up $20.3 million from playoff revenue uh, sharing despite not having a team in it. Now here's the next part. They crushed the competition. Attendance doesn't matter as much to a deep-pocketed media network. Story writes that ESPN wants live television programming during the holiday season to draw viewers. Exactly what I just talked about. So attendance doesn't matter as much. Last year, the game drew seven, this is the Miami Beach Bowl, 795,000 TV viewers. And it absolutely destroyed all the competition on Monday afternoon. Fox Sports 1 and NBC Sports both had fewer than 280,000 viewers on average during the same time period. So the Miami Beach Bowl, declared by the purists as a joke, is no joke to ESPN. Because guess what? They paid for the bowl, they bought the bowl, and guess what? They crushed the competition. That's the key to this. Miami Beach Bowl is what this is, you know, I use that as an example because that was a lousy drawing bowl game. They drew better viewership for other games. And that's the key. And that's what they've been able to do. I mean, I ran down last year the ratings on all the bowl games and the viewership. And each one crushed the competition. I go back, and this is this is a few years ago, so it's like, what, five years ago maybe? Maybe six. It was a Saturday afternoon in mid-December. Indiana was ranked number one in the nation in college basketball. Now, you know that, he, that Indiana has a very good following. And they were facing Butler, in Indianapolis at what is now Bankers Life Fieldhouse, where the Pacers play. And Butler had been in back-to-back Final Fours. And they're facing number one Indiana. And the game was on CBS. Not CBS Sportsnet, but over-the-air CBS. It got crushed by a 3-1 to margin by the Gildan New Mexico Bowl between Wyoming and Temple. So when you hear about the bowl system and the you know and these are lousy games and so forth, I've always said and I've maintained forever. All right, if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to watch it. That's fine. But you know what happens? It's the holidays. And the holidays 
You're sitting around. You may have some time off from work. Game comes on. Yeah, and all of a sudden the game ends up being pretty good, so it captures your imagination. And people watch. And I'll give you a good example. Wednesday Night Baseball on ESPN. ESPN was thrilled this year with Wednesday Night Baseball. Why? The ratings for Wednesday Night Baseball on ESPN went up 11% this year. 11%. Very healthy. But you know what the average audience was to get it up to 11%? 636,000. Again, let's go back to the Miami Beach Bowl. I'm not talking about the Fiesta Bowl. The Miami Beach Bowl drew 795,000 TV viewers. Between Tulsa and Central Michigan. And Tulsa won the game. It wasn't compelling, 155 to 10. It drew 795,000 viewers. Okay? Wednesday night baseball went up 11% to 636,000. They have 160,000 fewer viewers for Wednesday Night Baseball, and they had an increase. Fox Sports 1 and NBC Sportsnet combined for 560,000 viewers that day. They were still, all right, 235,000 viewers behind the Miami Beach Bowl. And again, I'm picking the worst here. That's the worst one. All the other ones. I believe the Miami Beach Bowl was the only bowl game last year that had an audience of less than a million. And ESPN has 35 of these games out of the 40. Fox has a couple now. CBS Sportsnet has a couple now. CBS, of course, still has the Sun Bowl. But that's what this is about now. This is about programming and the fact that we watch. I'll watch. Oh, college football game. Yeah, okay. You know, it's it's the holidays. I'll watch. Now, can I watch every night, or do I have a desire to watch every night? No. But that's what this is about. Yeah, it drew 15,000 fans. It no longer exists. It's now in Frisco, Texas. But there's a reason why ESPN bought these games. It has been a winning formula for them. And you notice how they stagger it. Every night there's a game. And they get people watching. We keep mentioning the Miami Beach Bowl, but I'll go back to the original point, is that that was the worst draw ESPN had last year. And it still crushed the competition. Nearly three to one. You wonder why there's so many bowl games? You wonder why ESPN owns 13 of them outright? 17 bowl games are now owned by for profit groups, including three pro sports teams owning them the Lions, the 49ers, and the New York Yankees. Because they get it, they see the value in it. And they also see the value in TV viewership. You're sitting there with the Foster Farms Bowl, for goodness sake. That Foster Farms logo is sticking out in your TV set for three hours. And there's an audience there watching it. Oh, they're junk bowls. 
Um, okay, fine. Guess what? This is a business. And there are enough people who sit back and say, yeah, maybe a junk bowl, but I'm watching tonight. It's like a decent matchup. Ah, you know, I've got now everything going on. I'll watch that. Well, it's like with the Belk Bowl. I mean, for a lot of people that live in the north that don't do a lot of traveling, may not be familiar with Belk and what they're all about. And that's how I learned, watching a commercial and, right. you know, during the Belk Bowl. And you're right. I mean, it's just complete blanket branding coverage for them for a All good right. three to four hours. I mean, I just found out last week about PlayStation. No. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Penn's Tavern is where you want to celebrate this holiday season. Whatever feel you're looking for, Penn's Tavern along the Susquehanna River can accommodate your needs. Mountain stone walls and wood floors can be found in the original dining area, giving you that old world charm. Continue back to the newly renovated River Room with 12 PA microbrews on tap. Grab a burger and sit back and relax in this cozy pub area. Penn's Tavern has the best gift certificate offer for the holidays. Buy five gift certificates of the same denomination and receive a sixth one free. Penn's Tavern, a piece of heaven. On Route 147, five miles south of Sunbury. Well, bottom line, it's good business. You're a television network. You want to have fresh programming to televise. They found a winner. Now you're, you know, you'll get all the scoffing about, oh, I don't want to watch the Quick Lane Bowl. Uh, then the ratings come out, and obviously this group of people that have. I mean, you don't have to watch it. You can watch whatever you want. I don't. It doesn't matter whether you want to watch uh, the Star Wars trilogy or if you want to watch a bowl game, you want to watch Hallmark Channel, you want to watch Blue Bloods, doesn't matter. It's your choice, but it gives you a choice. And it turns out there are enough people that make the choice to watch a college bowl game where it pays off for ESPN. And that's what it's all about for them in the end. And what's happened is that the 17 entities, 13 of which happen to be owned by ESPN, those 17 bowl games are actually thriving. And they've kept the lower-tier bowl system alive. Major bowls are the major bowls. That's why they fight so hard to get major bowl designation. That's why it was so important for the Cotton and the Peach Bowls to get into this New Year's Six as a separator to get the Cotton back into the game and get the Peach into the game. Because those are going to be automatic ratings winners anyway. They're always going to pair up the best teams, the name brand schools. Where suddenly you've got name brands going against each other, you know, outside of the playoff. I mean, obviously you got Alabama, Clemson, and you got Georgia and Oklahoma, but you've got Washington, Penn State, Ohio State taking on USC, Wisconsin and Miami, then Auburn and Central Florida. You know, so those those games are always going to find, and especially you will see a ratings increase this year in the college football playoff compared to the previous two years. Why? Because the two playoff games were on New Year's Day. The date means something. The highest ratings for the college football playoff for the first year, Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl. 
But then they started that shift toward, we're going to do it on New Year's Eve, start a new tradition. And people didn't buy into it. This year, because the rotation gives them the rose and the sugar, you'll have your highest rating since the first year. And it's because of the New Year's Day combo of rose and sugar. The Rose Bowl is going to draw viewers anyway. It's the Rose Bowl. Right? It's cold. It's in the 20s or 30s in the Northeast, in the Midwest, and they're looking out at beautiful, sunny Southern California watching a game with the San Gabriel Mountains in the background. It's a tradition that everybody loves. And I can tell you, as someone who has sat in that broadcast booth, on a few occasions, it is everything you would hope it would be. But you always hear, oh, oh, too many bowls, lousy bowls. Then the ratings come out. Evidently, not everyone shares that opinion. It all starts on Saturday. Chip and dip day over at the suits. What do you say, Sean? We're in. Of course, before that, he's got to defend his crown and pick the games with us on Friday. I mean, Brewer's Outlet. Mm -hmm. I mean, we should stop there first and then go on over. Offer him a pickle. No? (laughs) Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.